Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss using customers' personal data to develop new product offerings, taking small actions that have big results, and a way to get everything you need to do accomplished faster and with less stress. Master plans, motorcycles, and monotasking. Oh my! There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press story comes from Bloomberg Business Week. Written by Kristen V. Brown, the story is titled, All Those 23andMe Spit Tests Were Part of a Bigger Plan. And as it turns out, Dan, it was the plan from the beginning. When the co-founder and CEO of 23andMe, and Wojcicki, was pitching investors about 15 years ago on her business plan, it had two parts. First, she planned to sell mail-in spit kits to people who wanted to learn sort of interesting things about their DNA makeup, things like potential ancestral origins and the likelihood of experiencing certain health conditions. As the number of customers grew over time, 23andMe would create a large enough sample set or database to identify new links between diseases and particular genes. Now, as part two of the plan, the customer's DNA data would be paired with research to fuel the creation of drugs that 23andMe could tailor to different genetic profiles. To quote the article directly, the idea was to become a new kind of healthcare business sitting somewhere between a big pharma lab, a big tech company, and a trusted neighborhood doctor, end quote. The company sold millions of people on DNA test kits, some 11 million and counting. It's estimated that one in five Americans has turned over their genetic material to 23andMe or one of its competitors. Now that they have the data, 23andMe is working on the drugs. They're collaborating on clinical trials for an immuno-oncology compound, harnessing the body's complex immune system to beat cancer. They're also exploring other drugs with potential use in treatments for neurological, cardiovascular, and other conditions. For several years, Wojcicki was married to Google co-founder Sergey Brin, and the similarity in business models between Google and 23andMe's is significant. Collect all the data, derive whatever insights you can, and find an adjacent line of business with the potential to yield much bigger profits. Where things get a bit messy is the use of the customer data that 23andMe acquired with its DNA spit kits. 
it's likely that the majority of the 8.8 million customers weren't paying close attention when they checked on a box in their submission saying that the data could be used for other purposes. According to the article, quote, privacy advocates have been warning for years that the spit tube deal is lopsided that there aren't enough legal protections on genetic data to justify trading DNA samples for answers about whether you're predisposed to hate cilantro or what percent Swedish you are. DNA data, which contains information about you and your blood relatives, could be hacked, de-anonymized, or shared with the police. 23andMe's pharma ambitions add a new dimension to these concerns. If Wojcicki keeps achieving her goals, customers might one day pay 23andMe to assess their disease risk and pay for a treatment it later develops based on their DNA. Why should one company hold the key to the world's genetic code and charge the rest of us handsomely for access to it? For now, Wojcicki's answer to both sets of concerns is basically, trust us. Quote, I always like to say, we'll win you over. What do you think, Dan? Should people trust 23andMe? So I think this is a fascinating question, a fascinating article. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. And it definitely plays to this bigger issue of privacy and trust. And, you know, a lot of companies in the last few years have violated that trust. And data has been hacked or stolen. Um, Our personal information has been leaked all sorts of things. In this particular case, though, to me, it it really depends, and I'm not the uh, recovering lawyer here in the group, but to me, it really depends on what the privacy policy actually said. And the fact that people don't read it is not 23andMe's problem, I don't think. (laughs) I mean, look, you know, if you're really concerned about your privacy, you should read it and you should understand how people are going to use it. And if you're going to spit in a tube, you got to understand that your DNA is going somewhere into a lab And it's not shocking that it might be used for something. I'm particularly... I I did not like that last quote, I got to say, because it sounds to me like sour grapes. It sounds to me like, you know, oh, 23andMe figured out how to connect the dots. And frankly, it sounds like do good for the world while making a profit, something I don't mind at all. And now it seems like, oh, well, since they figured this out, you know, we don't like them anymore. We don't trust them. So... I don't know. I'd go back and see what did people actually sign up for. But this is not only not shocking to me, I actually think it's pretty cool. You know, Dan, I'm with you in the sense that I I can see the pros and the cons of this very easily. Let's let's pull into a couple of the things you mentioned. You know, as far as the privacy policy and that people should read those, look, everybody listening, we all know that most people don't read what they sign. They scroll through and they click on it and they're done. And I guess the question is, do we hold companies to a higher standard when we know that that's the reality? Especially when the thing they're signing potentially has to do with something as intimate or as personal as their DNA. You know, I know we talk uh, from time to time on the show about healthcare. There are all kinds of rules under HIPAA and other regulations around how hospitals can use and share data that they get from an individual and what they can do with those records and their requirements to keep and maintain those records. And the reality is these DNA testing companies, whether you're thinking of 23andMe or Ancestry.com or any of the other companies that are operating in the space, 
aren't held to those same standards. So I, I do think there's a conversation there. I also think there's a conversation around desired intent and unintended consequences. And what I mean by that is, sure, 23andMe said early on, hey, if you submit your spit via this DNA testing kit, not only will we give you back the information, but then we kind of hold the map that we just did of your DNA and we can use that for other purposes. That's their intended consequence. But it's an unintended consequence or action if their database gets hacked. And if some way they're storing it that it shows Joey doesn't like cilantro, which is true, by the way, and then they turn around and they figure out a way, bad actors, to make sure that I get a lot of cilantro when I order takeout. That would be bad, right? Now, would that be... Is is this cilantro thing embedded in your DNA or are you just using this as an example? No, that's That's true. That's actually true. Okay, you don't like cilantro, but that's not showing up in your spit test, is it? It actually is. Yeah, there, there are actually elements of the, 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 it won't show whether you like or don't like it. What it will show is whether you're predisposed to like it or not like it. And it is a genetic marker around, uh, your, yeah, which is kind of crazy, right? And so, oh, unique cocktail party talking about thing. And when I got my results and it was like that, I was like, oh, well, for years, I've not wanted cilantro anything near anything I was eating. And so that helps to explain it a little. Where 23 got, 23 and me got into a little bit of trouble is when people people were saying, oh, well, it shows that I might have a propensity to develop cancer. Oh my God, I've got cancer. And it's like, no, you don't have cancer. It's just showing that your DNA is set up in a way that cancer is probably going to have an easier time living in your system than in another system. And that's where there were some regulations that came out in 23andMe had to change how they were presenting things and the type of data they were sharing back with their customers. But the moral of the story here is this stuff is happening so fast. And it is evolving at such a scale that I think once again, we find ourselves in a position, and we've talked about this on the show before as well, where regulators and the government doesn't really, it, it, for lack of a better way of putting it, is a little bit behind the times. Like we need, I would posit that we need some actions to be taken to put buffers around some of these companies in terms of what they're doing. I mean, we can talk about Facebook and what they're doing with misinformation on their platform or, you know, Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or any of the platforms. You know, that's a whole thing where do we trust humans to be good at deciphering whether what they're reading is true or uh, a spoof piece or a malicious intent piece? Or do we come along and have some regulation around it? I think it's just a bigger conversation around ethics and privacy that most businesses, I believe, are having little conversations internally about. But as time goes on, I think we need to be having more of them and at at a greater scale across our organizations. Yeah, I agree. And and again, to me, th- this does link back to regulations and then, I guess, enforcement, but also interpretation. So a, a lot of the regulations get reinterpreted by corporate lawyers. And corporate lawyers are paid to protect everybody. So they're going to be more conservative. So they're going to... This is why we have so much fine print. I've always thought that it's kind of backwards and, and that what should happen is that the regulators should say, all right, you've got to prove that people understand when they spit in a tube what's happening to that spit. Now, how you do that is up to you. You want to have one-on-one personal interviews. You want to do a video series. You want to have a long set of terms and conditions, whatever. But one of the things we're going to make you do is not just have them check the box that they read the privacy policy, but actually answer a quiz asking them five questions to make sure they understood the policy. 
And then that's going to be the proof that we need that, you know, that somebody signed up for. And then I also think that's a, it's a good thing for the company because they're protecting themselves. It's a good thing for the customer because, I mean, at the end of the day, we want the customer to understand this stuff. It would, it would stink if somebody spit in a tube and didn't realize that their DNA was being used for certain things when it was right there in the fine print if you just decided to read it. So to me, it becomes about let's figure out a better way to prove that people understand it. And yeah, that's that's a difficult task. But I think if you leave it up to innovation and you leave it up to the, the private sector to figure it out instead of the government, I think we'd end up in a better place. You know, Dan, that's really interesting because I have experienced that, but I never thought of that becoming the default. So there's a a company that I'm registered with that basically has a a list of, and I'm using this term loosely because it's their term, but like experts on different topics. And so companies can go to this third party and say, we're looking for someone who knows about customer experience, or we're looking for somebody who knows about seatbelt design or whatever it may be. And they pair you with that company. And they have all these rules that you have to follow about, you know, what kind of activities you can be involved in or not involved in. And they do exactly, I'm realizing now in this moment, they do exactly what you proposed. They have all these pages that you have to read, but before you can become officially registered on their website, you have to go through a test and they give you different scenarios. And if you get the answers wrong, not only do they show you the right answer and re-explain why, but they tell you like, hey, you can only get so many of these questions wrong on the test. Otherwise, you don't qualify. And here's where it gets real interesting. Every year, you have to retest. So it's not something where, you know, if you answered these questions, when I signed up for this platform like four or five years ago, that that was enough. They come back to me every year and they're like, hey, if you want to be eligible to be a resource as part of this platform again, you've got to retest. Now the text takes, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But to your point, they have proof that I, Joey Coleman, at least understood their rules and their regulations and kind of their conditions and terms and conditions of operating well enough to pass the quiz. Yeah, I think that's great. And then later on, if Joey says, oh no, you uh, took advantage of me or whatever, there's at least some evidence that no, we, we, you know, you took the test, you understood the test. Now, I suppose someone could hack your test and whatever, but I think it's a good step in the right direction. And, and again, as customer experience people, the way we've got to think about this is it should be just as important to us as it is to the regulators that Joey understands what he's signing up for. We shouldn't want to sign up customers you know, that we end up inadvertently tricking because they didn't know what they were signing up for. That's not ever going to end in a good experience. Amen, brother. Unsurprisingly, Wojcicki says we don't need to worry. As noted in the article, quote, we're not evil, she says. Our brand is being direct to consumer and affordable, end quote. Only time will tell what happens specifically with 23andMe, but what we do know is that as more and more organizations gather personal information about their customers, the potential legal and ethical issues associated with the use of that information is murky at best. The questions that every CX professional should be asking are, one, how are we capturing customer data? Two, what are our plans for using that information now and in the future? Three, what will that usage or potential usage do to the overall customer experience, particularly as it relates to customer privacy and customer rights? 
And four, as Dan said, what are we doing to make sure that our customers actually understand all of these things? They understand what we're capturing, why we're capturing it, what we want to do with it, and how that might impact them. It's certainly something to start thinking about now, even if it might feel a little bit like science fiction. You listen to us. Now we want to listen to you. By visiting our website and sharing your remarkable customer experiences with us, we can share them with a broader audience. Now sit back and enjoy our listener stories. We love hearing from you and are excited to share a message we received recently from a listener who is using things he learns on this podcast to enhance the experiences of his customers and employees. Randy Felice is the dealer principal and motorcycle sales manager at ANS Motorcycles in Roseville, California. The business is a family-owned and operated endeavor that serves as a one-stop shop for premium motorcycle brands like BMW, Ducati, and Triumph. Here's what Randy shared with us. Hi, Dan and Joey. I have learned so much about customer experience from you and the podcast. I now realize that customer service is just the bare minimum expectation. A memorable customer experience creates a bond between the staff and the customer. Once that bond is created, there is trust and empathy on both sides. At A&S Motorcycles, we added a tour of the store, including the service department. Along the tour path are pictures of the staff, either out riding or with family. We tell the guests about our core values, what we do for them as customers, and introduce them to the staff. This has been a game changer for us, not only monetarily, but also makes our day more fun. Thank you so much for keeping us in action. I love this. Did you hear when Randy shared that the tour path features photos of the staff members either out riding or with their families? This has multiple benefits. It helps customers to know the faces and the names of the people who are going to be working on their bikes. It reinforces that the staff is comprised of motorcycle riders who also have families. And it creates a sense of ownership and status for the employees to be featured prominently in the halls of the shop. And as Randy shares, it has had an impact on the store's bottom line, which is not particularly surprising because one thing we know for sure, people buy from people they like and know. And so what Randy's team is doing is helping the customer get to know their employees. And the more they know them, the better of a connection or of a relationship that they have with them. This is where they're going to buy their motorcycle. This is where they're going to get it serviced. This is where they're going to tell their friends to buy motorcycles. So it all makes sense that it links back to the bottom line. It does. And I think that ability to connect new customers to all of the employees in your organization is really valuable because at some point, your motorcycle may be worked on by this person. But next time you come in, it may be worked on by a different person. And when you kind of present the full portfolio of people or team members who might be involved in the project, I think those handoffs or those switches between who's actually serving you in any given moment becomes a little more measurable and ideally more tolerable as well. You know, it's interesting. Randy also shared that he answers each Google review with a personalized response and he signs his name. If the review is negative, he details the entire situation in the review so that the public can see both sides of the story and, of course, apologizes if a was in the wrong. 
He also told us that he always takes responsibility, regardless of who caused the issue. Now, it's interesting how this shows up. Randy related that he got to experience the impact of his efforts one day when I saw a customer in the service waiting area scrolling frantically through their phone. The customer then walked over to Randy and said, hey, a few minutes ago, I was upset with the information I received from the service department. I went over to the waiting area to look at the store reviews for ANS, and I came across one that matched my situation exactly. Your reply to the review helped me to understand the situation, and I was wrong to be upset. Thank you for running a great store. I mean, it's amazing, right? That, uh, you know, it actually prevented a customer experience issue or nightmare from happening, which I think is super neat. And it's also, it's indicative of this idea that as I like to say, there's no such thing as an offline experience anymore, right? This person's standing in person in the shop and yet they're going over to Google or wherever they went to go look at this review. And so an offline, a seemingly offline experience comes online or has an online component to it. Really interesting story. Absolutely. And I love the fact too that reviews aren't just about the reviews. You know, we've talked about this uh, in the past that when we comment on reviews, it gives the opportunity for our prospects and our existing customers to learn more about why we do the things we do, to learn more about our point of view, our perspective, our operating procedures. And what I love about this is because Randy was commenting on the reviews and explaining situations and detailing uh, the scenario that had been created, it allows this other customer who's in a similar situation to kind of slow down a little bit and get a better understanding. And maybe because Randy's the one writing the comments, it's, you know, the official description as opposed to maybe talking to a technician and the technician saying, well, here's the problem we got to fix and it's going to cost as much and I need to go fix it. In a review setting, they could write a little bit more and share a little more detail. So I think it's a really creative way to use a review to kind of continue the conversation with customers as well. So what can we learn from Randy and his efforts at enhancing both the customer and employee experience at ANS Motorcycles? Well, I think we can learn that little things matter. Showcase your team members. Give customers a tour of your facility. Respond to every review, the positive and the negative. When you make these types of small but consistent enhancements to the overall experience, your efforts compound. They multiply, they grow. And eventually, everyone in town, everyone who visits your store, and everyone who spends time on your website will have the opportunity to fully engage with your remarkable experiences and see what you're all about. Today's review of the show comes from a listener email we received that started our whole conversation with Randy from ANS Motorcycles. Joey and Dan, thank you for your podcast. It is the single best resource for CX I have found. I have eliminated any fee that cannot be logically explained, put surprise messages to customers on the bathroom mirror, reward customers who fully service their motorcycles to manufacturer specification in our service department, simplified our vision, mission, commitment statements, and dozens more actions that I have learned from you. Most of all, you keep me motivated to find ways to give customers the experience they want to have. Thank you for all you do. Hammer down. Thank you, Randy, for the kind words and for being such a rock star implementer. 
it's music to our ears, that you've actually implemented so many things we've talked about on the show in your business. That's the whole reason why Dan and I created Experience This, to serve up bite-sized examples of customer experience delight that our listeners could use to enhance their customer interactions and your proof that it's working. We've sent Randy some fun surprises for sharing his thoughts, and we hope you'll reach out to share your reviewer thoughts about the show as well. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's quite easy. Since you enjoy the show enough to keep listening, just zip over to lovethepodcast.com slash experience this. That's lovethepodcast.com slash experience this. And leave us a quick review. It doesn't matter whether you're on an Apple or an Android device. It doesn't matter which platform you're reviewing on. By going to that one site, you can access all of them. It's fast and it's smooth just like one of the finely tuned motorcycles that rides out of A&S Motorcycles in Roseville, California after Randy and his team have worked their magic. We spend hours and hours nose deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Wait, 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 wait. We already did a Christmas caroling episode, Joey, back in season two, episode 53. And look, listeners, if you missed that one, you got to go back and give it a listen or even a re-listen if you just want to get into the spirit of the season. <laughs> you know, Dan, you are correct. Fine. I won't keep singing Christmas carol classics, but I will sing the praises of a book that I just finished that while not specifically about CX, I think has significant applicability to everyone who listens to the experience this show. And that, my friend, is why I love the What Are You Reading segment. So tell us more. My friend Thatcher Wine is the CEO of a company called Juniper Books. They specialize in creating beautiful books for thoughtful people. And I talked about the remarkable customer experiences they create back in Season 5, Episode 101. Thatcher Wine. He's even got a name that sounds like it should be associated with fine things, including books. And if I recall, you talked about an experience that you had with their proactive efforts to fix a mistake back in episode 106 of season six, when they preemptively sent a message about a misprint on one of their book jackets that even you... Mr. CX God had not noticed. You know, you are correct, Dan. I had not noticed. They preemptively said in the message, it blew my mind. They are absolute rock stars, which to be honest is why I was super excited to learn that Thatcher was writing another book. And in fact, it was just released last week. Now, the book is called The 12 Monotask. Do one thing at a time to do everything better. It's the perfect gift for the holidays, for yourself or for someone in your life who's plagued by the perils of multitasking and just needs to slow down and focus on things one at a time. Here's the author, Thatcher Wine, with a brief overview of the book. Hey, Dan and Joey. My new book is called The 12 Monotasks, Do One Thing at a Time to Do Everything Better. And the book is all about monotasking. And the easiest way to think about monotasking is just that it's the opposite of multitasking. And I think we all pretty much know what multitasking is at this point. And we all maybe do a little too much of it, myself included. And the book is really about kind of where we are in the 21st century. We live in this super distracting, highly connected world where our attention is just constantly being diverted and hijacked. We have so much to do. 
we, you know, have these devices that command our attention all the time and just want more and more of it. And, you know, the future is only going to get busier. So I really thought about kind of, you know, how, how should I prepare myself and maybe how can I help others prepare themselves to make our way into the future and really control our own attention, apply it where we want to. So the center of the book really revolves around what I call the 12 monotasks, and they include activities such as reading, walking, listening, playing, sleeping, creating. And the fundamental concept is if you bring your attention to each of these activities one at a time, you can do that task or that activity really well, like better than you could if you multitasked it. But you can also strengthen your attention span and build your focus. And it's what I call your monotasking muscles. And then when you have strong monotasking muscles, you can apply those wherever and whenever you want to get done what's really important to you at home or at work and not be constantly distracted by what other people or technology companies and apps, you know, and advertisers want you to pay attention to. So every the book is structured to be like super user friendly. Every chapter follows a similar flow and it's meant to be read one chapter at a time practiced their exercises in each of the chapters where you can really see and feel what it's like to pay attention to one thing at a time, which is maybe a feeling that we, we've lost touch with. And then you can see what works for you and apply it in your own life to really do what you want to do and be successful, creative, present, and have fun. So I think readers and listeners that have an interest in personal improvement, productivity, neuroscience, and mindfulness really can take away a lot from the book. I really resonated with this idea of feeling pulled in so many directions and that my monotasking and attention-giving skills have diminished greatly as I become more comfortable and accustomed to the multitasking behaviors. Well, and hey, we as CX professionals, and we know you listeners can identify as well, this is, this happens every day. We're, we're trying to get so much done. We are multitasking, which generally, by the way, should be defined as not doing either task well. <laughs> Nothing tasking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you're trying to get a whole bunch of stuff done at once, but you're not uh, performing well at, at any of them while you're trying to do them all at the same time. And there's also just this issue of lack of focus and you know the desire just to check something off the to-do list without really thinking about how important it is or, or how urgent it is. And I, I think this is an interesting concept that, although not directly tied to CX, certainly uh, would impact people who are focused on CX every day. You know, Dan, I felt the exact same way, which is why I wanted to share this book. You know, I actually followed Thatcher's advice for consuming his book and read no more than one chapter at a time. And I did my best to practice the monotask featured in each chapter for a few days before I'd move on to the next chapter. And what I found is that it was a really interesting and valuable exercise. In the process, I became much more aware of when I'm multitasking for no good reason. And to be honest, I realized it's happening all day, every day. Now, in that same vein, I had the pleasure of reading a printed copy of the book, which is in alignment with Thatcher's perspective on books in general. He notes, quote, a printed book requires one to monotask with their attention. A smartphone encourages one to multitask with fragmented attention. While my copy of The 12 Monotas is filled with marginalia, ooh, I had to work in a big book word. That's the little notes you take in the margins when you're reading a book. I think my favorite passage was this one from the preface of the book as it sets the tone for the overall premise behind Thatcher's writing and offers an alluring promise. 
And I quote, Now more than ever, I believe that the antidote to our ever-expanding to-do list, the distractions of modern life, and the fragmentation of our attention is to do one thing at a time. Once we realize that we are the ones who control our own attention, we can choose where to apply. Monotasking is all about reclaiming our attention so that we can better work through our to-do list, improve our relationships, and get through some very difficult times. Well, I do love myself some marginalia as well, Joey. But <laughs> I, uh, I like the quote, uh, doing one thing at a time. Man, it is hard, especially in today's day and age. There's so many distractions. You know, it's so hard to put that phone down and put it on airplane mode and just, you know, shut it up for a little while. But it really does make a difference. And I notice it too during my workday. You know, Dan, I think this monotasking philosophy can really impact and help speakers and writers like you and me, as well as CX professionals who are constantly working to come up with creative ways to engage their customers. In fact, that's why I loved Thatcher picking the following passage as his favorite. So this excerpt is from the creating chapter in my book, The 12 Monotasks. And it's from a subsection titled The Urge to Multitask. Some of the actions you take to encourage creativity will possibly resemble multitasking. Examples of this might include brainstorming while out on a walk or listening to music while painting. The key is to be clear about which of these is your primary task and which is your background task. Time pressure can lead to multitasking our creativity with other activities. Since we have so little time available in our lives, we might be tempted to always do two things at once. Thinking about a story we want to write while at work, for example, many combinations will simply lead to being less effective at both tasks. You may end up with a story that is not well thought out and work that is not your best quality. Look for opportunities to multitask in a positive way, such as doing something creative alongside your kids while they do their homework. You will still be parenting and they will see you as a good role model and creative inspiration. Or ask your supervisor if you can take on a creative project at work, such as rearranging the break room or organizing the holiday party. Make the case for why it's valuable to them and why you're capable of executing it. Your devices are very powerful in the, their ability to help you create, but they can also become sources of distraction and wasted time. During your creative time, turn off notifications and close apps and windows that are not essential to your creative work. Advertisers and other companies want you to pay attention to their creative ideas. Instead, cultivate the ability to resist them and redirect your attention to monotasking your creative ideas. So if you struggle with multitasking and are looking to break those bad habits, if you have someone in your life that's trying to do too many things at once and needs to slow down and have more deliberate focus, pick up a copy of The 12 Monotasks, Do One Thing at a Time to Do Everything Better by Thatcher Wine. It's a great gift that keeps on giving as you apply it to your personal and professional life this holiday season and into 2022 and beyond. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you. We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, 
don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.